Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. to episode 128. This is a first in at least two ways. First is that I'm, I got COVID while I'm doing the, uh, <laughs> the episode. And, and most importantly, so cool to be able to talk with a former student. So cool. So excited. This is Vanya Patino. She's a news reporter for KERO TV in Bakersfield, California, a former reporter for KFDA in Amarillo, Texas, and a former standout student in my English 10 honors class. Vanya, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Not as excited as I am. This is awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, like obviously the intro, the bio is pretty short. And I know even in your few years out of school and in school, you've got a lot more. So we'll talk about it. I'd love to talk to you about, you know, growing up and, you know, I, I met you in 10th grade in the English class. But, you know, before that, what, like, have you always been a big reader like, were you the one like with the, you know, makeshift microphone trying to be like the reporters on TV? Like, tell me a little <laughs> bit about your, your relationship with, with words and language growing up. I think a little bit of both. So uh, when I, I was, it's a joke, right? Um, my parents like dropped me off at pre-K without me knowing any words of English. <laughs> like, I like only spoke Spanish at home and I wasn't until somebody like pointed that out that like that happened to them. And I was like, oh my gosh, my parents mm -hmm. did the same thing. Um, and so like, I think for the first couple of years of like my career in school, um, I struggled a lot with like English and I was like in ESL and, mm -hmm. you know, reading was not something that I wanted to do. Or sometimes like, I wouldn't understand like what my assignments were and I would ask my mom for help. And of course she didn't understand my assignments either. <laughs> and I would get to school and my teacher would be like, what did you do? Like, this is not what I asked at all. And I'd be like, well, I don't know English, you know? <laughs> but then at some point um, I learned to read and then that's all I did. And I read everything. Um, mm. Like classic book fairs were like my favorite time of year. Oh yeah. And I would just, yeah, we would like buy all these, you know, all these books in English and Spanish. And I started reading in both languages. And I think that was like really important for my mom was for me to like not forget the language. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I grew up reading both, um, both languages. And then I read like, you know, the, the Barbies and the Disney's and the Goosebumps and Junie B. Jones and, mm -hmm. you know, all those books. But yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty much the kid who always had a big old book with them. I, I don't know. I just yeah. really enjoyed it. Once I learned to read, it was like no stopping. Right. Um, I remember when Twilight came out. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> but when Twilight came out, I like begged my parents to buy all of them. And like, I definitely should not have been reading that at like <laughs> fifth grade and fourth grade. Like, absolutely not. Um, now that I think about it, but I like just blew through them. I mean, I, rem I read Eclipse in like one night. Like I stayed up all night. 
um, with like my little flashlight, like super, you know, vintage, my flashlight <laughs> in my butt. And I think I slept like one hour that day and I woke up and I was like, I did that. Like, I did it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I really enjoyed it. I wish I could read more now, but I, I really liked it. And I think that's kind of what sparked my writing for me. Like I ended up, you know, wanting to explore my own words and my own stories. So I would write little stories here and then, or like sometimes I would be thinking I couldn't go to sleep. Right. Hmm. And I would like wake up and like write stories wow. about like whatever I'm thinking. And I'm pretty sure I have like maybe notebooks somewhere in someone's garage like with all my little stories but yeah I think that's kind of where it started for me was just learning to read English and then it was not looking back after that that's so cool yeah. so, <laughs> so if you ever need some extra money maybe you saw off those those early notebooks absolutely not no uh, okay all right, all right. I, I guess like I guess Harry Potter was probably like a little before I was a teacher like where it first hit and you know there were all the books and they're kind of spread out so, I mean, I'm sure that like the, that fandom and that like phenomenon was, I know it was huge, but like, I think mm -hmm. Twilight, I, I remember Twilight, like, like your time. I remember when that just hit hard. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Like, I think Harry Potter, like, I don't know what it is, but like Harry Potter, like I never was attracted to it. Like mm -hmm. I remember my teacher had all the books there and I was like, first of all, they look way too big. Like right? that is. <laughs> you know right. um but then but then twilight came out and those books you know they weren't like huge but you know they were a good size mm -hmm. and and it was like i think my generation was like the twilight generation where like yep. maybe two years older than me was harry potter generation mm -hmm. but yeah yeah and i remember i think that was like my first time going to barnes and noble to like actually get a book and i was like oh my god this place is amazing yes. i like want to live here <laughs> yes no doubt about it yeah, the I'll tell you that I had some students this year, and I guess they'd be juniors who were are still obsessed with Twilight, but mm -hmm. started to make you feel a little old. It's kind of a little kind of retro now. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. That's why I was like, I don't know if I want to share this. This is kind of embarrassing. No, 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 no. No reason to be embarrassed. Um, I don't. I mean, I know a little bit about it. I mean, is you see, talk about reading them in like third and fourth grade. Like, is was the subject matter pretty like adult or just? Like, I mean, some like, like once you get towards like the end of the book, once they're like married and stuff, it does get a little bit okay. more explicit. So uh, I think the first two books are fine. And then like the third and the fourth one, you're like, hmm, yeah. okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's fine. but, but it was good. I, I really, enjoyed, I think he's read a little bit uh, darker things or like, I don't know something above my my grade level I think that's what I was reading but yeah. I don't know it worked out that's what it's all about <laughs> having Spanish as your first language excuse me what what is you know Spanish obviously there are a lot of cognates in English which is a good thing for for learning do you what is it about Spanish maybe that as a language separately that you know has its own beauty like um you know that you're able to read in Spanish and obviously speak Spanish what what is it about Spanish specifically that's that interests you with the obvious reason with your you know family connections family yeah I think so first I really didn't want like once I learned English and once I learned to, to read English I was like that's it I I hate Spanish I don't want to talk it I don't like I went through that phase where I really not that I like hated my culture but like I wanted to be like your typical American so bad right like right. I wanted to fit in so bad and I stopped speaking it at home and like 
it was a whole thing. My mom was like, no, you only speak Spanish in this house, mm. you know? <laughs> um, but then I think as I, well, first of all, like going through elementary school, I think too, and maybe even middle school, um, like you said, there's a lot of words from Spanish that translated to English, like at least a lot of the same root words. Mm -hmm. So when it came to English, I felt like a lot of the harder words or a lot of like the upper level words, like I was like, oh, this is just, this right? is just this in Spanish. Yeah. And I was like way ahead. Like it really helped me in that sense. Um, or like, like spelling, I don't know. It just like, it really helped me. And I was like, okay, like maybe knowing Spanish is kind of, you know, kind of cool. Like maybe like mm -hmm. a little superpower that I have, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it was it, like that helped me too, that I could use my Spanish, um, in my English classes. And then once I, it really didn't happen until I got to college that I like really enjoyed speaking Spanish. And I think it's because for the first time, like my entire like group of friends were all like Latinos, Hispanics. And then I also took like an ethnic studies class and a like Chicano studies class. And I was like, there is nothing to be embarrassed of or like you know not that I was embarrassed of my culture but like I said like I really wanted to just be like your typical American you know like that was the idea um and those classes really helped me explore myself and my identity and my culture and learn to love it and see like a lot of beauty in it and of course language is a huge part of that so I started just thinking and like speaking more Spanish and I was like I love the way that it just rolls off my tongue like I mm. love the way that feels just like speaking it and then also like just being to connect with so many other people now I just I laugh about it and I'm like listen I can like watch TikToks in Spanish and English so like <laughs> that's awesome you know like <laughs> just being able to connect with a lot more people and 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 as a journalist like that obviously helps a lot you know like in Amarillo my first story my first story that they assigned to me was about a street vendor who had been like beat up or I think was he shot? I think he was shot. Mm. And they were like, okay, you know, we're just going to write like a little piece on it. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like this guy was shot. Like, no, mm. we're, we have to go. And mm. um, it was, I think it's my third day on the job. It was my third day on the job. They didn't, they were, I was still in training. Like I was still going through like modules and like all the HR stuff. Oh, and everybody was in like a meeting and so I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to go. Like I had found the guy like on Facebook and I had messaged him and I, I just like hijacked the car from the mm. station <laughs> and like, I just went and I interviewed him and he only spoke Spanish and I came back and I translated it and I did a story and everybody was like, what, like, what, what are you doing? But I was like, no, like, I think at that point I was like, that's why I'm here. And it kind of just like clicked for me that I was like, that's why I come to these places where no one in the newsroom like speaks Spanish mm. and can't give people a voice. And to like, for me, that's been the beautiful part about listening to my mom and not losing my language mm. was that now I can connect to so many other people and, and let their voices be heard um, in a way that hasn't been before. So I don't know, like it, it's been a difficult journey with my language and like learning to love it and learn it to embrace it but now that I do it's like it's it's amazing I'm so grateful for my mom pushing pushing me to keep speaking it um yeah but and now sometimes like I'll read something in Spanish and I'll 
think it in English and I don't even realize that I'm reading in Spanish. Hmm. Um, sometimes I'll like speak Spanish to Paul, which is my boyfriend who does not speak any Spanish. And he'll look at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm, I keep speaking Spanish and I, then I realize what I'm doing. So I don't know. It just, it's, it's a weird little switch, little flip. Sometimes it gets all mushed up in there, but, and I don't know, I think with, especially with journalism, it's helped a lot that I can have both. Definitely. Wow. So that, so you're basically saying that like, if, if you hadn't taken it upon yourself and hijacked that car, then it would have been a little, <laughs> little article, right? That's incredible. Yes, three day, three yes. the job. It's so VO essentially is about, I mean, 30 seconds max and mm -hmm. a package, which, which is what I did is about a minute, 30 to two minutes. So like in, in TV time, like that's a big deal going that from is. 30 seconds to two minutes. And so, yeah, I felt like I, I did my community justice at that point, um, no, no which was it. honestly, yeah. was really cool. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. The, um, so going, going back a little bit to, uh, I guess like high school and college, you're talking about like your ethnic studies courses and stuff. What did you, what did you learn there that you wish you would have learned like in high school and, and before college? Oh my gosh. Um, it was like a lot of politics. Um, and it was a lot about, learning to embrace yourself and, and and how like the way that history is taught and mm -hmm. just like the curriculum in schools um, don't always reflect like our history or like the complete history of the mm -hmm. U.S. really. I remember, oh my God, it was this really thick book um, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, but I think it was like the real history of, I don't know, something really, it was really basic. Um, but I remember reading that book and it kind of went into, you know, slavery and colonialization and like, like a lot that, and I took AP US history, you know, which mm -hmm. is pretty in-depth. Right. So the fact that I, I took that course, which I felt like I was learning, you know, three times as much as the regular um, history classes in high school, I still didn't know a majority of what happened or like I didn't know about lynchings uh, of, of mm. Mexicans you know I didn't know like there was so much history there that I was like I connect to this like I, I you know this is part of like my culture and like how we got here and I didn't know any of it and so I think there's a lot about learning what happened that gives you like clarifies or, mm. or gives you clarity on on yourself and your own identity mm. um and once you learn who you are, mm -hmm. I think the world just makes a lot more sense and you can like carry on yeah. more freely without feeling heavy. I don't know if that makes sense, but it does make sense. yeah, but like those classes, like, and, and so that was like my ethnic studies class. And then my Chicano studies class, like it also was a lot about identity. I remember the first um, like assignment was like, okay, how do you identify and, you know, some people said Mexican, Mexican-American, Latina, you know, I said Latina. I had never really identified as anything else than that, but, you know, or like Hispanic. And then I didn't even know that Hispanic was like, you know, inaccurate or, but it was like, I remember watching like Univision growing up and they always said like Hispano. So like, I was like, yeah, that uh... makes sense, you know? Um, and then I get to college and it's like, no, it's not Hispanic or like the difference between Hispanic and Latino and like all these other terms. And I just had no idea that those terms existed. Hmm. So again, I think it was just like college for me was really 
learning to embrace my culture and like finding my own identity, which I feel like it's still building. And I think your identity changes throughout, you know, periods of life, but it really gave me that confidence that I needed, I guess. Um, So I don't know. I really enjoyed college. Like I really wish that everybody went to college and like took courses like that, that could help you become you or like you find yourself kind of thing. (laughs) Sounds like a good day. No, no, no. When you talk about like the confidence and even like ideas of like representation, like representation of history of your history, yeah, like is that something where you, like you knew it was you knew it was lacking? You could have said that it was lacking before, or you like once you took it, you're like, oh, now I know. I didn't know that was a part of. I didn't like I didn't know it. I, so like when I was a kid, um, my mom, like I said, we would go to the Scholastic Book Fairs, and I would always get like Junie B. Jones or whatever mm-hmm. looked good and she would always get like historical books so like Mm. I grew up reading a lot of like historical bios like like I remember getting to like older grades and I was like yeah I know all about Pope Hauntis I know all about (laughs) Alexander Graham Bell like you know like I read all their bios as (laughs) almost as a punishment like my mom would make Uh me read them before uh before going to bed every night and so uh, I thought I knew a lot more history than the average person but I didn't know any of that. Like none of, like I had never even seen any of this. And so, and so I I don't know, it almost, I, I, I think at some point I almost felt betrayed and I was like, why, why don't I know this? You know, like I was that kid that like Mm. actually read the books. Like I was Mm -hmm. that kid who like, you know, didn't use sparks notes. Like I, I've read everything, um, you know, like, why did I work so hard? And, uh, and I still only know about like 10% of what actually happened or, sure. you know? So yeah, I think when I got to those classes, I felt a little betrayed by the curriculum. I was like, yeah. this needs to change. Right. But, but yeah, I wish I, I wish I had known. I wish I had at least um, maybe had an idea of what was, of what, of that history, but I didn't honestly, hmm. if I'm, if I'm quite honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So just between, I mean, no one else is listening between you and me, who, which of, which of your classmates were using Spark? No, no I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, I could name, tell name, you. Name, name, name. No, no, no. Well, so, okay. So as you got into to high school and college, am, am I correct that it would have been 2015, probably when, when the the former guy that rhymes with Frump, right? He yeah, you know, he came down the 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 elevator and whatever. But he was in San Pedro, where we went, to, where you went to school, where I taught. Were you part of covering uh, his his uh, appearance? Yes, I'll tell you the story. Yeah. Um, because that that really was I that was a pivotal moment for me. Mm. Like that that day, that day was when everything changed for me. Like everything. Whoa. Whoa. Um. Yeah. No, I think like like looking back, that was probably like one of the most impactful days of like my early like my life. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Um. As you know, I was in the school newspaper. Um, I was like features editor. Like I just, you know, did the fun stories and we would mm. talk to, you know, um, students. And whenever we needed something for sports, I would just call Paul and be like, what's going on? <laughs> you know? Um, so it was just a, a very um, skeleton crew. Mm. But I had, I remember seeing a post that um, he was going to be here. 
um, that former President Trump was going to be there. And at that point, he was just running. I think it was very, very, I mean, very early on in the campaign. Yeah. Um, but I was like, we should go cover it. Like that, it's like mm-hmm. right here, it's, you know, like 10 It was right down the street. Yeah. Yeah. It was right down the street. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, we should go, we should go cover it. And I remember Miss Norman, uh, Miss Allison Norman, she was like, okay, well, then just email the person. And I was like, oh, we could do that. Like <laughs> I could just ask them. Like I didn't know we could do that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't know how old I'm at that point, like maybe 16, 17. And I just, I emailed the guy, like the guy who's putting, or like I found whoever was hosting it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, like I'm a student journalist, you know, for Pola, like we write for this newspaper. I was wondering if maybe we can get some press passes. Mm-hmm. And to my surprise, he says, yeah, like how many do you need? <laughs> and everybody in like the classroom was like, oh my God. <laughs> like it was so exciting because, you know, like we cover, you know, prep rallies. Mm-hmm. And so this is like an actual political, you know, campaign type of stop and so yeah so we we ended up getting just two uh two I asked for like 10 honestly because my teacher was like just ask for as much as you can like at that point make it a field trip (laughs) but um we got two press passes so myself and um Jaylene who's like our photographer went with me and we were in like the press line. This is the first time I had ever been in a press Whoa. line. And it was like ABC7 was here and <laughs> KTLA and, you know, NBC4. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I watched you guys on TV. This is so cool. Um, and so I was kind of like, you know, fangirling over, over them at first. And then once we actually got on, you know, it was on the boat, um, we got in and I was like, okay, I need to, you know, talk to people. So I, I went up and I had never been like shy. Like I'd never really been afraid to just go up to someone and be like, Hey, tell me about this. Mm-hmm. And so I did. Um, but like throughout like the evening, like my confidence just kept going lower and lower and oh. lower and lower until I just felt like, I was like, okay, <laughs> because everybody kept saying no to me, like dismissing me being straight oh. up rude. Like sometimes like they just like would not look at me mm-hmm. and then I remember one older lady because she looked so sweet I was like she'll be you know she'll be a good person and she started telling me about how like I should be grateful to Trump because you know he's the reason I'm gonna have a job and I was like Ooh. okay um all right <laughs> like you know it's, it was like I don't know it was such a shock um and I remember going to my photographer or my, my colleague. Um, and she was, she was getting everybody to talk to her. And I was like, uh, why are you getting everyone to talk to you? Like how, like, she, you know, she usually, she, she just takes pictures. Like she's not the one person to talk to people. So yeah. like, she was a little bit more scared about that. And I was like, how are you doing this? And then she like went up to this one guy who had like completely ignored me. Like he looked to me straight in the eyes and like, then looked away. And I was like, well, you're rude. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, and he talked to her and I was like, what? And it just didn't make sense in my head. Why, why they were being so mean. And then, you know, Trump talks, whatever. And he starts talking about like anchor babies. And I remember at that point, like that was like a big talking point mm. and the entire boat, like is, is like chanting anchor babies, like, oh like my God. Stop anchor babies or whatever. And that like mm. confidence, like that, you know, like when I was telling you, like, I felt smaller and smaller, yeah. like at that point, I felt like someone had like stomped on me. Like I felt mm. like a tiny ant, and everybody around me was chanting this, you know, these words that I felt like were really 
hitting hard. Like it, it was hitting me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I cannot believe you. Know, I was like me, you know, <laughs> like I cannot believe that all of these people that live in this community that I grew up in and that I love, like, I love San Pedro. I love that community. And I was like, I can't believe that I've been surrounded by people who think this. And I, I think that's when it just like clicked for me. I was like, oh my gosh, history wasn't that long ago. You know, like our mm-hmm. history books may be in black and white, but this happened yesterday and this is still here and this is not going to stop. And I remember seeing little kids saying the words too. Whoa. And to me, I was like, we're not going to stop it. Like, mm. I, I just, if I was like a hopeful person, I think at that point I became a little cynical. Like it just, it broke me, completely mm. broke me. I was like, I really wish we lived in a world where the newer generations um, were maybe more accepting or more open. Um, and like, there was more progress, but I was like, no, because th- these are ideologies that are taught from a young age and you can't break the cycle. Mm. So I don't know. It was just, it was like a time where I was like, oh my God. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was really difficult. That day was really difficult. And I remember um, leaving. I don't, I don't know if I did get an interview, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I probably, the only person who talked to me was that older lady. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just felt really small. Like I just wanted to like get off the boat immediately. Um, and once, you know, it was over and I did finally get off, like I just cried in the car. Paul picked me up that day. And I just cried and I was like, I just, rejection hurts. Like, you know, and to this day, rejection hurts, like people not wanting to talk to you, like, um, you know, it happens, but that was like a different type of rejection. Like that one felt personal. It didn't feel like, oh, they're just, you know, shy and they don't want to talk to you. They don't want their name out there or they don't want to be on camera, like, which I can understand, but that one felt very personal. And for a 16, 17 year old, finally like going into the real world that was really tough but at that point I was like this is what I want to do (laughs) like this I don't know how that that makes sense like I don't know how you get something so hurtful and say yeah I want to keep experiencing this for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. but but for me I was like I want to do this like I I want to understand why people think this way and I want to talk to those people mm-hmm. and I, I want to talk to everybody and I want to understand everyone and yeah I, I think at that point I was like I I just want to do this <laughs> so that's that's your, that's your origin story I think so I really do think so um yeah I mean I was really excited like at the at the beginning of the day I was really excited and towards the end like I said it just kind of it broke me and then I was like okay this is real life. This is it. Let's dig into it. You know, you see those, you see those ugly, excuse me, those ugly rallies on TV. And that's one thing, but man, to be in the middle of it. And like you said, to have the little kids chanting, oh man, just, just ugly. Yeah. And I think like as this, as a 17 year old, I, I, I want to say I was 17. I hope I'm not getting that one wrong, but I was young and naive and I thought, you know, the world was rainbows and butterflies and it was just, it was a burst of a bubble, like in a, in a weird moment where like my parents weren't around and like, I was just there trying to, I was, you know, a young student reporter who had just written about, you know, like I said, features, um, trying to cover this big story and just getting knocked down. So yeah it hurt <laughs> well, definitely sorry you had to go through that I, I i remember so i know a couple years later one of your things you posted on social media 
when you were in Amarillo is, I, I mean, I think it was a fairly innocuous, like, I think it was like his victory party or whatever, but speaking of Trump, it was his Ronnie Jackson, right? Mm-hmm. Who was yeah. The, who was the doctor who, you know, claimed that Trump was the, you know, most physically fit, you know, just a liar. So like, I, I got to think that like your horrible, like experience with like with Trump and the rally, like prepared you for those type of things, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, going to Amarillo, I, I knew what I was getting myself into or so I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I had looked up the place before I said yes. Um, in terms of politics, it was, I believe, like the most uh, Republican leaning um, county per capita, like uh, percentage-wise, it was the one that wrote, wow. uh, the most across the country for um, Donald Trump. So like, I, I knew, I knew that it wasn't going to be the same political spectrum that I grew up in or mm-hmm. that like, you know, my household was. Um, but again, I think thinking back to like that first rally, I was like, I am, I'm ready for it. Like, I want to talk, like, I wanted to talk to those people. I wanted mm-hmm. to understand them. Um, and, and to a point, like, I've always felt like politics was never, you know, red and blue or black mm-hmm. and white. Like it's always just like a mush between it's like a purple, it's like a gray, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, and I wanted to, to see that because I, and, and I did in Amarillo, I met a lot of people that, you know, believe certain things, but were really sweet and nice. And I was like, you know, we always like to paint a picture of someone that's just the one thing. Um, but people are so much more complex than that. And there's mm. so much more to someone. And, and I did, like, I learned that and, and I enjoyed my time in Amarillo for that aspect, because I don't think that you get that perspective by being in the same, like, political spectrum for the forever. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, right, right, right. like, growing up, I think if I had stayed in SoCal, like, I wouldn't think the way that I think the way, the way that I think today, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that that rally was interesting. (laughs) So I guess backing up a little bit um, in the college, sounds like you were really active in college and even so you worked like with with Telemundo, I guess, right? Yeah. So in college, my first like men- mentor, um, mm-hmm. Inez Gonzalez. Oh my God. She's an angel. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember meeting with her um, and she was like, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to mm-hmm. get internships. And like, that's what, you know, she, she's the one that told me to, to join like our Spanish newscast. Um, okay. And that's when I was like, okay, maybe I can do this in Spanish too. Um, and that class was transformative in like my journalism career, mm. but she was like, you have to get internships. Like, I don't care what you do, like get a bunch of internships. And so I was like, okay, I don't even know what an internship is. I don't okay. even know how to apply for one. Like, I don't, you know, like I was that one kid who like went to college Monday through Friday because I didn't know you could choose not to take Friday classes. Like, <laughs> embarrassing, you know, like that's, that's how like blinded I went into college. Like I was first person in my family to go. My parents just said, get good grades and you'll be fine. Mm. And there's a lot more that goes into it. Sure. And so I, I didn't really know anything. And she really guided me and like held my hand through like, this is what you have to do to be successful in college and then later in life. And so I ended up taking a like uh, unpaid internship, which was really hard because I had two jobs and it was in LA and I lived in Orange County. And I, I think I had just gotten like a really beat up car at that time. Um, and it was for like a, it's a, it's a, 
it's a national or it was like an organization helping like Latino filmmakers like make okay. it in the industry. And so I was doing like almost PR for them and like interviewing people and like putting together little videos um, for them. And I did that first. And then I think that really helped me get um, MSNBC. So I ended up getting an internship with Network. And that's a, also mm. a funny story because I applied for Telemundo Local, which was uh, Telemundo 52, 52. But I got a call one day, like randomly, um, from the executive producer for Nightly News with Lester Holt. Mm. I hadn't even watched like Lester Holt at that point, if I'm being completely honest with you. Like I, you know, we, in my household, we grew up watching Univision and Telemundo and maybe sometimes ABC7 or KTLA, mm. like sometimes, you know, um, but I didn't like I we didn't watch nightly news like that wasn't something that we did and so he starts telling me like oh you know tell me about yourself like why do you want this internship ace it I do great in that and then he's like well like what do you like about our show like who are your favorite oh. like correspondents and anchors and I had prepared for that because I had thought that I was you know applying for Telemundo so I started naming all these like Telemundo people embarrassing and he was like you don't even know what to apply for do you and I was like again I don't know how old I'm at this point maybe 20 I don't know I really don't know but I'm like young and I was like oh my god I remember feeling my stomach like in my mouth like I wanted to throw up like it was horrible and I was like uh clearly there has been a misunderstanding because I don't think I applied to this job um I was like but still I think I would bring a lot to the table to your team and I am ready to like hit the ground running and I am excited to contribute to more diversity in newsrooms yes I pulled the card (laughs) and he was like he was like okay well it seems like you have a good head on your shoulders we'll see and like that's it Mm. and I (laughs) I remember hanging up I, I took the call at Paul's house and I like walked out of his room and he was like how to go and I was like that's the horrible like I was like my career is over before it even started let me just say that (laughs) and he was like no no way and I was like I did it I did it I was like I literally started talking about a whole different show I didn't even know what this guy was calling me for (laughs) and he was like well there'll be other opportunities you know it'll be fine (laughs) but I got it like he emailed me next day and he was like send me your reference and I you know we're 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 gonna like keep talking to you and so I called that mentor again I called Ines and I was like I need a reference like Mm. ASAP and sure enough she writes one that same day we send it over and the day after that I was at my unpaid internship and I get the email like congratulations you've been selected um, to be part of this internship and I I didn't really I didn't realize what it was like I didn't realize the magnitude of of Mm. what that internship was until I talked to Ines and she was like you know like no one from CSUF has like interned with that specific group ever before Mm. and I was like what so like I had to go through this whole paperwork where you had to add them into like our database because they weren't even there and once I got there again, I was so excited. Like I, I did like a Snapchat video and again, oh my gosh, I'm dating myself, <laughs> but I did a Snapchat video saying like, I'm here. I'm so excited, you know? And when I got there, I was the only student from a public school. Like everybody was either mm. from USC or I don't know what was the other one, uh, Pepperdine. Mm. Um, 
and Chapman. Everybody was from Chapman, USC, and Pepperdine, and I was the only one that was from public school. <laughs> and so we go, you know, through the newsroom, and you, we're all introducing ourselves. Where are we from? We're like, where? What schools are we from? <laughs> and it goes off like USC, Pepperdine, Chapman, and then it goes to me. I'm like oh, CSUF, and I remember like them getting to me and being like, oh, okay. And like everybody else had like alumni who were working in the newsroom, mm. like multiple alumni who were working mm. in the newsroom. And then there was one person who had gone to CSUF and he, he had been there for like ages. So like, mm. it wasn't like a recent alumni or anything. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. <laughs> you know, um, you could just see like the disappointments when it got to like my school and they're like, oh, CSUF. <laughs> blazing a trail blazing a trail yeah I mean absolutely and so that was fun I am I learned a lot from from being there I think it was the first time that I was like cold calling and I like hated Mm. it so much because I was like I I don't know what I'm doing here but yeah they taught me you know to cold call we did like a lot of research and putting together excel sheets a lot of the stuff that I didn't know went into journalism Mm. so that was really nice um and then the that was my, my first, and I hate to say this and it really just sucks a lot, but like, I've seen so many shootings at this point, you know, that that was my first shooting, um, mass shooting. And I remember I got a call maybe like three in the morning and they're like, we need you now here. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know how I even woke up at three in the morning to take this call, Mm, but sure. Um, I didn't even know what was going on. Like I, I was like, okay, let's go. It has to be something big because they're calling the interns at three in the morning. Mm. And, and it was the shooting at Thousand Oaks for the bar. Oh yeah. And I remember that day was so emotionally tolling. Like Mm. I just went, like I went to the restroom and just cried. Like I was like, how how is everybody just running around? Like, I want to just go into like a fetal position and cry in the middle of the newsroom right now, mm-hmm. you know? And and there's been so many now in my very short career that it's different. Um, but I remember the first one like very vividly and like, they're like, okay, well, you have to find who all these people are and like scour the internet. Mm. And so you're going through thousands of pictures on Instagram and Facebook of these mm. kids who are only a couple years older than I was at that mm-hmm. point. And you really like get to know, you know, what they liked and what they like to do. And you're like, they're not here anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to find their parents and you have to reach out to their parents and try to talk to the families. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is mm-hmm. so hard. I don't know that I could ever go through something like this again. And then, you know, this is where, this is, this is where we live. And, and mm-hmm. it's happened multiple times since then. So it was a hard time. But I'm glad I was with that team who like mm-hmm. were all very professional and knew what to do. Cause mm-hmm. then when it happened again, I like knew what the process was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, again, my first internship in news and it was interesting um, to say the least, but it was really nice. And then after that, I decided I wanted to do more local news. Cause a lot of the stories that I pitched, like were local and of course that was a national team so you had to find stories that like impacted mm-hmm. everyone and and I was just more of like I just want to represent my community type of person like I don't know that I want to be talking about this so I was like you know what I'm going to go over to the building 
right across, which was local, NBC4 and Telemundo. It's the same building, okay. the same floor, the same newsroom. Um, just like this side is Telemundo and the other side is uh, NBC4. Kind of like a overall intern and just you do whatever they need help with. Mm-hmm. And then for local, I was an assignment editor. So like answering phones, listening to scanners, uh, sending photographers to do something, pitching mm-hmm. stories, uh, doing interviews for reporters, uh, curating questions, uh, just like everything really the assignment editor kind of does everything and so uh, I really excelled there like I did uh, I did some for NBC4 I did some for um, Telemundo and kind of went back and forth between both teams and I really enjoyed it I I I think I was pretty good at it because after they they were like okay well we have an opening like do you just want to take it I was like, I'm still in school. Do I not need a degree for this? <laughs> and they're like, no, you're fine. Uh, I was like, oh, why am I going to school then? Yes. <laughs> the big lie, but, the lie. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so my last semester of college, I was also working like four days out of the week there. Um, yeah, which was, it was tough. I mean, towards the end of like, my college career like I was just taking classes for fun at that point like I had already finished you know my my credits and stuff so it wasn't horrible but the drive was horrible because I was living in Orange County and of course Mm. they're you know in Studio City but um yeah it was was a drive it was like a three-hour drive sometimes it was horrible but but it, I, I loved it. Like I loved going to work. I loved being in that atmosphere. Like I loved every single second of it. Um, and I got two Emmys from there. So hey, I will say it was hey. a good time. Okay. <laughs> I like have to remind myself to say that because I never do. And Paul's always like, why don't you tell people? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I learned a lot. I think that I wouldn't be the journalist that I am today if it wasn't for the people that I met in that newsroom who had mm. years and years and years of experience and who were so open to helping someone so young and again, naive to the, to the news mm. world. Um, and everybody was so sweet and nice and, but like pushed me, like there was times where like, I was like, Oh my God, like I, how can I survive in this? Like it's mm. cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yes, they were nice, but also like you had to, you had to show what you were there for too. Like you had yeah. to fight for it. Um, and now I think like, I'm a very aggressive journalist where like, I'm like, just really annoying (laughs) and Mm. I will call you a thousand times and Mm. email you a thousand times. And if this one doesn't work, then I'll, you know, like, I'm just like, you, you knock on every single door multiple times. Um, and if plan A through C doesn't work out, then you go down the whole alphabet. And I think like, that's my approach to journalism. And I think that's helped a lot. And I learned that there, like, I remember one time, oh my gosh. I, I love her to death. She was also like one of my mentors at that time. But the the fire in uh, Paris, what was mm-hmm. sure that like caught on fire? Oh yeah. my God. I know. Was it? I know what you're the, talking about. Yes. The, okay. I'm, I'm looking <laughs> so it up. This, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking it up. <laughs> this is going on in France, right? Again, we're a local news station. Sure. And she was like, there's a fire in Paris called the fire station. So oh. I thought she meant like, like local, like, you know, P-E-R-R-Y-S. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so like, again, we're like a local. I called them and they were like, you mean Paris? Like the fire, the fire chief was like, do you mean Paris? Sorry to interrupt. It was, so inter- sorry to interrupt. It was in Notre Dame Cathedral, Notre Dame. Yes, right. yes. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I, I call again, the fire station and he's like, yeah, I think you're calling the wrong Paris. <laughs> and then I like looked up and of course, like we were rolling on, you know, national and it was Paris, France. And I was like, okay, hopefully nobody heard me calling the wrong fire station. Oh, <laughs> and then I ended up making calls to France, which I didn't know was my job. Uh-huh. And she was like, okay, I need to find um, a SoCal uh, someone from California that's local oh. to here that is there right now and I was like you want me to do what right how oh, am I supposed yeah. to do that <laughs> I was like how am I supposed to find one person who is there right now who is from our viewership area mm-hmm. like that didn't make sense to me like I was like that's imp- you're asking impossible things right now and I was like you know what there has to be like study I- I'm in college at that point right so like in my head I'm like study abroad programs okay mm. so I look up study abroad programs from California in France. And I find one, I think it was, I don't even know where I was from, but I find one and I start looking up like on Twitter, the study abroad program. And I find a couple students. Oh, it was from, it was like from San Francisco. And I was like, oh, San Francisco is not our viewing. Okay. Okay, Let me find like another one. Um, And I found someone from Irvine Mm. who it was a mom. I thank God for mom's tweeting. Oh my gosh. It was a mom (laughs) who tweeted that her son was there uh, studying abroad. And so I messaged the mom and I was like, Hey, NBC four, we need to talk to your kid. Who's there right now. Um, and we did, and we ended up like setting up like a Skype call. Cause like zoom wasn't a big thing back then. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, so we yeah. setting up a Skype call, uh, with the son who was there. Um, and I think Dipsy had happened like, Oh my God, like, Whoa. what are the chances? Yeah, <laughs> like right. what are the chances of this kid being there? But I remember being like, Oh my God, I am so good at this. I found you a person from Irvine who is there right now like that. Um, but you know, like that really, like when she told me to do that, like it was normal or like it was easy, which it wasn't, you know? Um, and then I was able to do that. I was like, okay, I might be, I might be good at this. I mm. might, this might be where I, I really do excel. Um, and that's just been kind of the way that I've approached journalism ever since It's just full throttle everything mm-hmm. like knock on every single door so wow I, awesome. I owe a lot to that new uh-huh. for sure I mean I know like even for like a you know whatever five minute like segment on the news there's all kinds of writing and I kind of hate the term content because it, you know, has the, the, the connotation <laughs> yeah. of like an influence, you know what I mean? Like, but, but there's yeah. so much content, right? So like how much, like, tell me a little bit about, tell us a little bit about that. Like how even something that seems like, oh, it's a minute and a half, you know, segment, like there's all kinds of writing and background that goes into it. Yes. Well, like, so usually my typical package is what we call it. It's about two minutes. Um, depending on the story and depending on the newsroom too, like my newsroom in Texas was one thirty and one thirty, and that's it. And like, mm. I don't care what story it is. It could be, you know, the president comes here. I don't care. You get one thirty, and that's okay. it. Like very strict about it. This newsroom that I'm in right now, thank the Lord, because <laughs> they are a lot more flexible. And sometimes like you really do feel like the story needs more time, like guarantees yeah. more time. So, um, my typical is two minutes. Sometimes I'll do three, depending on the story, or sometimes it really is just a short little fluff, you know, story. Mm-hmm. And you do like 
a, a minute, a minute 30. Actually, I never do a minute because my writing, I, I write a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there goes, a, it goes a lot into it because I usually come in at 9.30, but I start working around seven, start looking for stories and start kind of figuring out what I'm going to pitch, who can I talk to, start making calls. Um, what's the big story of the day? What are, what can we localize something? Is there anything happening local? That's really big. Um, and so you, I really start my day like at seven and then I have to have interviews done, B-roll shot, everything edited, um, and my script in. So we do like, uh, like a longer version of the story and then like a shorter version of the story, um, Mm -hmm. for two different shows. Um, and I try to give myself like my own deadline. So like I need it to be in by two so that it can be checked at least by three. Cause sometimes like all the scripts pile up and our, our directors like take a while to look at them. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I have to go set up for like my live shot at four cause I'm live at five, you know? So like, it just, it's a lot of like keeping your own internal deadlines, mm-hmm. um, type of thing. And I'll write like a lot, like I, it's a lot of writing. And then I like look back at it and I have to condense it. And that's the hardest part. Like condensing mm-hmm. is so hard. Like you can write forever and ever and ever, mm-hmm. but like saying the same thing that you said in a thousand words in 500 words sure. is really difficult. Yeah. So I feel like a really strong writer can say the same thing in you know five sentences then you can intend like, I feel like when you can master that like oh my gosh you're yeah. so good you know yeah. I'm getting there I think every day like that's that's the challenge for me again like I really like to write so like my scripts it's, it's always really long it's, it's like a running joke in the newsroom I'll be like um I sent you a mini package and they're like no this is like a really long package like what are you talking about yeah. um but yeah, so it, it, I write a lot typically, but then I try to go back and like, see, okay, I can shorten this, or I can mm-hmm. say this with this sentence instead, or I can, you know, use this word instead of this one. Um, or maybe we don't need to give this guy 30 seconds. He can say the same thing in 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a lot of like cutting down again, for the sake of time, because you don't get too much of it. Um, but also trying to not lose the story and trying to get the same point across um, within that short amount of time. Like yesterday, I did a story on a 15 page report that came out on Kern County. And like, mm-hmm. I read the 15 pages, and it was a lot of information. Um, and it was a three minute package, you know, right, and the, and right. the, well, and still, so originally, I had sent them a four minute package. And they were like, absolutely not. Are you mm. nuts? I was like, okay, I can bring it down to three, which is a big cut. Honestly, like if you take a minute, big cut. And I was like, I can go down to three, but that's it. Like that's as much as negotiating Mm -hmm. we're going to do. I can't do anything less than that. And so like that, that's kind of how it works is you, I I always fight for time. Like I'm always fighting for more, Mm -hmm. for more words in there. Um, (laughs) But yeah. And then somebody will, so I'll send them my script and then somebody will look at it and like go through trying to condense it more, trying to make it more tight is what we call it. Um, and then I get it back and then I track it and then put it all together and Dang. send it off. How do you find the balance between a more like formal voice and like your own voice, which can my be natural voice? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, anybody, I mean, you, I'm sure I know you can be formal, and, but you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like between like a conversational voice and a formal mm-hmm. voice, you don't want to be like too professorial for, you know, for the, for the masses. Like, how does that work? Yes. Yes. So it's always, it's like, make it 
what what's the word what's the acronym make it stupid simple is what we call okay. it uh it's because people didn't read the 14 page study sure. written by doctors you know right. so like, the language is different you have to write everything um as though like a third grader is watching is kind of like mm. the standard is like if a third grader can understand you perfect like okay. that's what we want we want every single person to understand it and actually like I I not that I struggle with it but like that's my goal every day so I'll I'll ask Paul to watch my stuff again my boyfriend <laughs> thank God for him and I'm like did you understand it and he'll tell me like what he he got from it and I'm like okay this is what I need to fix this is what I could have said better this one didn't you know like I, I critique mm-hmm. myself um, because it is a lot of times, a lot of, uh, jargon and you try sure. to simplify everything. Um, so I think it's, it's just something that we do like every single day. It's, it's a different story. So it's a different challenge and like, what language do you use? But we try to simplify everything as much as possible. And we try not to use like, um, like fatal, like, you know, like fatal just sounds so official. Mm-hmm. So like, they're dead you know like you say dead mm-hmm. or you know there's just like a, a changes in words that you do to make it more understanding for yeah. for the person who's also like people's attention span is so you know low <laughs> that yes. you have to keep that in mind too um like the strongest words that you can use that make sense like mm-hmm. captivating words like you know just like like good language if that makes sense Mm -hmm. that will get the person to continue watching and continue to pay attention because sometimes you can and this happens to me too sometimes you can watch a show Mm -hmm. but you're not watching it like you're not really taking it all in you're just Mm -hmm. watching you know Mm -hmm. so like a lot of that goes a lot of thought goes into okay what's the best uh, wording for this or what's the best way to say this that is captivating but also that you can understand it right. and it's a balance it's it, yeah. it is a balance of trying to do both i think balance is the key there yeah objectivity like i mean you talked about like you know horribly tragic events where you you know you felt like crying you were crying like you're human you know and how do you like you know and then again in the world of trump or post trump like you know, this whole mm-hmm. idea, like, you know, all the news stations would say, you know, do we say lie or do we say false, you know, like lies? Like, yeah. where do you find the objectivity <laughs> between not trying to put too much of your own personal spin on something, but also telling it like it is? I don't know. Yeah, language for sure, for sure matters. Um, the types of words that you use uh, say a lot and like come across differently. Um, I think, I and I saw that like, shift a little bit more because I was in newsrooms throughout like Trump's presidency like kind of from the start and you know to now um there is definitely like a lot more I would say um this like disconnect or you know and I think people should question things more I think like I think everybody should question everything you know Mm. Um, that's what I do every single day like I question every single thing that I I get but it's it's just like picking and choosing and like, what's the most neutral way to say this um, to me? Like if I put out a political piece and people don't know what my, you know, beliefs are mm-hmm. that I won, I won I that day. Success, that, that's yeah. the best way. Like that's success. When people don't know what I believe in, like mm-hmm. that's my goal every single day that I write something and you give a voice to, to, to both. And what you have to do is you have to fact check when you talk to these people a lot. Um, and so like, I'll do, I'll do an interview. And if I know that what they're telling me is wrong, I'll be like, 
actually, you know, this is what, this is what we found, you know, mm-hmm. and you try, cause, cause you want to give them the opportunity to say something. Cause that's what okay. people are wondering at home too. And so I'll be like, Oh, actually, you know, this is, this is what the investigation found, you know, or like there is no, um, no fraud found in the election. So like, mm-hmm. w- you know, what do you say to that? Or like, what do you say to those people who say this, you know, sometimes you'll, I see. because you also don't want like your interviewer to feel like you're biased either, like never, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, I, whenever I talk, whenever we do politics stories, like I'll be like, you know, but playing devil's advocate here, or like, you know, the opposing side says this, or like, this is what was found. Um, mm-hmm. Because you never want to shy away from like anything that's controversial. Like you mm-hmm. want to attack it and you want to give them the opportunity to say, to address it as well, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, it's finding a balance and giving both sides, all sides. I never, I never think there's two sides to anything. I feel like there's <laughs> multiple sides right. um, to stories. So you try to find those voices and you give them, you know, um, the opportunity to speak and then you fact check them to make sure what they're saying and what you're going to put into the piece is accurate because their points can be can be valid if it's Mm -hmm. factually correct you know Mm -hmm. um and you have to give every single person the benefit of the doubt on that so Mm -hmm. it's just a lot of fact checking when you do like political pieces so once i do those interviews I have to go back and like do a lot of research. Right. Um, if, I, if I don't know, like if I don't know already, like, yeah, see, it's it's a little bit of a lengthier process um, than just, you know, putting something together really fast because mm-hmm. deadlines are really tight. Mm-hmm. But it's just, yeah, you go back and you fact check and make sure everything is accurate and you give them the opportunity to say what they believe in, you know, and that's just that's just the world that we live in. So. Mm-hmm. Speaking of accurate, <laughs> speaking of accurate, have you have you seen any TV shows or movies that like get it right, like get the newsroom right? That's a huge <laughs> mug right there, by the way. But... <laughs> Absolutely not. No. Um, no, no. I think, and and I'll like gravitate towards. You know what? There is one documentary type of um, okay. series on HBO, and it's based out of a newsroom, I think, in Nevada. And that one is pretty accurate, but it's kind of like a, like a, it's like a humorous documentary. I mean, it looks like a joke Mm -hmm. because you think like, how is this person doing the job of 27 people? Like that must be, that, that can't be. Um, But that really is how it is. Like in in a small newsroom, like one person does the job of many and everybody does, you know, multiple jobs. Um, So that's why it comes out funny, but like, that's just reality, honestly. Mm. I think that was like one of the best depiction depictions of of a small newsroom. But other than that, like no, like I watched um, <laughs> what's the one on Apple TV with uh, Jennifer Aniston? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 Today Show or the yeah, the morning, which the morning I thought was I thought it was really entertaining. Like sure. I really I enjoyed watching it, and I love Reese Witherspoon, but it was not. I mean, I never worked on you know a national morning show, so maybe I don't know to that extent. <laughs> But I, it was way over uh, dramatic. Like, yeah. I don't think that it was accurate, you know? Um, I mean, and, but I, I mean, some things were like, you have to find somebody to talk to for this. Like, yeah, like some of it was, and some of it was way off. Hmm. So, but I mean, that's what you have to do for, you know, quote unquote, good TV. There so I don't go. blame them. Maybe. Also, I don't think it helps. <laughs> I don't think it helps 
us who really are you know, in the trenches working, <laughs> going into the communities, because um, then that's what people think, you know, what the, that's what right. the newsroom is and it's not. So <laughs> as, as a journalist, I can watch to be like, yes, that's accurate. No, that's not accurate. And watch for entertainment. Mm-hmm. But I do think about what that does for the person who's mm-hmm. not in newsrooms and right. thinks that this is accurate. Right. How about the responsibility? I don't know if pressure is the word that you have, like in translating, like obviously you're bilingual and Spanish is not an issue, but you know, things don't translate one for one. Like Gallete is not the same as shut up or be quiet in between, <laughs> right? Or, right. Like, so, you know, when it may be, you know, very important things in people's lives, I wonder about how you deal with translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we have like a big agricultural community here and like a lot of the farm workers, you know, are Spanish speaking or uh, Latinos. And so, you know, sometimes the stories that they say, like, you have to be a thousand percent accurate, like the mm. words need to translate, even if that word doesn't necessarily, you know, per se exist or doesn't come off mm. exactly the way that they meant it to come out in English. And so um, I think it's a lot of like, understanding the context of how they're using that word and making okay. sure that you find a word that's equivalent um, mm. to what they're trying to um, come across with. And so, yeah, it is, it is, honestly, it's a big responsibility because they also won't understand it in English. So they're mm. trusting you mm. that you're going to say it correctly, right. um, that you're going to say their story. Right. And a lot of times, like these people are not open to telling their stories. Like it's mm. really difficult for them to agree to put on a microphone and share their journey or, you know, be in front of a camera. And so there is, there, there is pressure. Um, but I don't know, you just kind of, you do your, you do your best. At least that's what I do. I just, mm. um, and it does help, obviously, that I'm very fluent in Spanish because I've seen other news pieces that I'm oh, like, no. I, could, I could hear, you know, like, because you leave the track, like you leave right. the Spanish track, but you just like lower it a little bit, but I can still hear her and I could understand her. And I'm like, that's not exactly what she said. And oh, it's never sure. like off, off, like it's never, never like fell. completely wrong, mm-hmm. but I'm like, this way it could have been better, you know? Um, And I am like, I'm very critical of news. Like I watch news to critique it. Like, which is, it's like, it's like a sport for me. Like I'll watch other news channels just to, to be like, "Mm, I could, this is what you could have done better. Or you should have talked to this person instead, (laughs) or you should have, you know, Um, which is funny because I'm sure there's some person out there, you know, judging my stuff too, (laughs) which is fine. (laughs) But, but yeah, I think that's, there is a responsibility, especially when you're in, in a community that's like predominantly Latino to like say those, say those stories accurately. Mm-hmm. I mean, to say all stories accurate with the language, it's like, they're trusting you, like with everything, yeah. they're trusting you. Really interesting point, the idea that, like you said, like once, once it's in your hands, like it's, they're trusting you big time, like that you put the, put the right words to it. I would even think that you would sometimes be translating a translation, right? I would think a lot of the farm workers don't, some of them don't even speak Spanish, right? They speak an indigenous language. So it's like those layers of translation, right? Yeah. And that, and that gets really difficult too, because there's not a lot of people who can translate for Mm -hmm. them. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, there is one organization here locally. I think it's like Benito Juarez organization or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they do a lot of the work and like, they're amazing. But, um, but aside from that, you know, 
like who who is there like especially for COVID like COVID was really difficult mm-hmm. for those communities because how do you get that information out to the people who don't speak anything you know like who who there's no one who speaks their language in yeah. the rooms that are creating the pamphlets or like mm. creating the PSAs, you know? And mm. so I, I know like that was a struggle also like in Amarillo, cause I was, I was covering COVID early COVID um, in Amarillo and there's a big refugee um, mm. community there, um, Somali and, you know, like, like a lot of languages that just, you know, you don't have mm. someone from Somalia at the, right. you know, health department who's mm-hmm. putting together these resources. Mm-hmm. And so there, I feel like there's always organizations trying to help, but they can only do so much too. Like the guy mm-hmm. f- from Benito Juarez here, he was like, listen, there's like, like I, I don't know, like 700 languages being spoken here, mm-hmm. you know, indigenous languages. And we know maybe 10%, you know? Yeah. So like, and, and there's variations and, and there's like, some things just don't translate even though they're the mm-hmm. same maybe they're from different regions and they're like completely opposites so there's it's just very complex right. um but yeah I mean language is, is everything so you have to be really careful with, with it <laughs> there you go last question for you would be I mean you've accomplished so much in a short short career like what's what do you hope to accomplish more what kind of you know future projects are you hoping to work on you know I think if you had asked me that a couple of years ago, I would have been like, I want to be a political risk correspondent. Like mm. I want to go on campaign trails and like Caitlin Collins is like, mm, oh my okay, gosh, yeah. I love her, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but then, but then I came back from Amarillo after my one year as a reporter. And I was like, I don't know, like COVID was really tough and I was away from my family in a really tough mm-hmm. time. And I just, like I've never really been someone that like is super homesick because my parents don't let me like my parents are always calling me and I love them for that but like you know it doesn't allow me to be super homesick either and so I think it was I'm missing these big you know time periods and I I want to be there as my younger brother you know goes to swim practice and I you know like I want to be there for those moments so I think now it's more about finding something that's close by and really that's why I'm in Bakersfield I'm in mm-hmm. Bakersfield because I'm so close to to my family and I can mm-hmm. take a two-hour drive um and so like now my family is is factored in you know because when I wanted to be a political correspondent I was like I'm gonna travel and like I'm never gonna see anyone and mm-hmm. I'm okay with that mm-hmm. and now I'm not okay with that like now I want to be doing something that I love while also being close to family so yeah. I think I'll stick around in Bakersfield for a while as much as they have me (laughs) and then I'll try I'll try to maybe um inch closer maybe like San Diego or like Los Angeles and and try to do I really do like community like journalism like I love local news Mm -hmm. so I don't know that like network is in the plans anymore Mm. because I've I just like again like having to like wanting to pitch local stories to like a network audience is really hard and I learned that in my first internship Mm -hmm. so I love just like being in the community and representing that community that I live in so I think I'll that's the plan at least right now and maybe if you ask me in a couple (laughs) months or in a year it'll be different because you know I'm just a very fickle person but you know it'll it'll, at this point the plan is to just get closer to family while also doing this job that I, I I generally really love well, I mean, you've done such an incredible job. Like you talk about working so hard in college to, 
know, multiple jobs and even before you graduated and you've obviously given yourself so many options that, you know, there are so many groups that would love to have you. So, I mean, just congratulations and continued great luck. I would hope so. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank, thank you. Oh, man. I had a great foundation in high school. I remember, I actually, before we go, I, I remember um, my essay from from summer. I think we had to write a, an essay during summer. Okay. And we got it back. And I remember you writing in, like, your notes to me on that essay, like, you have a really strong voice. Mm. And in my head, like, that didn't really make sense. Like, I was like, I what like I wrote something like how do I have a strong voice even if heard me speak <laughs> um and now thinking back like that made such an impact because I was like oh am I a good writer like can I can I write is this something that I could do um so yeah thank you for that oh you're so welcome and obviously I mean obviously you've been a great writer I, I don't take credit for that um but I'm so cool it's so cool that you remember that I really appreciate you bringing that back yeah full circle moment right here full circle moment <laughs> And this is not goodbye. We'll, we'll be in touch for sure. It's just been a pleasure talking to you. And like I said, continued great luck with your work. Thank you. Thank you. It was nice talking to you too. <laughs> thanks thanks you for so having much. me. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks so much to Vanya Patino. This is episode 128. You can now subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. And darn it, Vanya, I always forget to ask. Tell, tell us about your social media, your contact info. How can we get in touch with you? Yeah, um, it's just my, yeah, it's just my name, Vanya, with the V as in Victor. I know it sounds like a B, but it's a V, A-N-I-A, um, and then my last name, Patino, P-A-T-I-N-O, that's, I believe, across all social media, um, so pretty easy. Awesome. Uh, I, I have a unique name, so that's helps. <laughs> there you go, there you go. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation. I love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look at an often ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of Well podcast is Wind Down, instrumental. And the other song played on the episode was Hoops, instrumental by Matt Whitehour. Both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 129 with Sam Quinones, a journalist, storyteller, former LA Times reporter, and author of three acclaimed books of narrative nonfiction, including The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth, released in 2021, and his 2015 release, Dreamland, The True Tale of America's Opiate Epidemic. And this episode aired on June 28th. For now, thanks again for listening, and I hope that these quarantine days bring you texts and visuals from writers with mad skills like Vanya Patino, whose work in journalism gives you chills at will.